listening to the quarter to three movie podcast for the fast and the furious six actually did it did i get the articles right or wrong you guys I think there's no buzz i think it's just fast think, well the title card i think just said furious six when i saw it oh they're not fast anymore that's kind of true though but they're still pissed off well you know what Spoiler. Uh, so to let everyone know before we get into that, my name is Tom Chick, and I'm here with Christian Malarski, I think it is. It's Roman, bitches. He's got to be him. And with a Furious Six tagline, Kelly Wand. Nice. <laughs> you know, F you. F you all. <laughs> what did you really say? I said, I said, bravo. Bravi. Uh, during, I will say, I've been because I'm, I'm now making notes every time it happens. During Fast and Furious Six, Dingus uttered among his utterances that were out loud was "Whoa!" That was one of them. And another one during a quiet moment in the theater, everyone in the theater clearly heard Dingus go "What?" <laughs> so, well, I'll, I'll explain to you what two times that happened uh, later in the podcast. But uh, first, uh, why right, don't similar? Experiences. With Dingus? You could hear him all the way up there in Canada? Mm, I had my own Dingus to contend with. You'll see. <laughs> Don't we all, Kelly Wan? We all, we all have a my, Dingus to bear. Why is this series of Dinguses? Uh, all right, so Fast and Furious 6, Dingus, without spoiling it for anyone, why don't you uh, tell that folks... That job's who, taken. Uh, ...a little bit about what we saw this, this, this week. No spoilers. Be careful with that, Dingus. All right, well, this week we saw Fast and Furious 6, alternatively, alternatively known as Fast 6 or Furious 6. Mm, mm. Oh, make up your own title, audience. Because uh, our ticket stubs said Fast 6, and then there's just this weird moment uh, when the title of the movie flashes up, and it's Furious 6. Yep. So it's apparently called at least three things. But the 6 is beyond dispute. Yeah, it is not. You can't, but it, there are three 6s now, so that's 666. Oh! <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That 2013. Was the really good <laughs> the remake, not the good one, but sorry, shut up. I choose to go with Furious Six, a 2013 <laughs> action crime thriller sequel movie using a bunch of uh, wolves to catch criminal mastermind wolves in all of the wolves drive cars. It was directed by Justin Lin and written by Chris Morgan and Gary Scott Thompson provided characters. <laughs> At the last second. Yeah, here's some characters for you guys. Uh, it stars Sung Kang, Chris Ludacris Bridges, Tyrese Gibson, Gal Gadot, Michelle Rodriguez, and Gina Carano. Furious nice. Six. <laughs> Collectively. Jesus. Furious Six is rated PG 13 mm. for intense sequences of violence and action and mayhem throughout. <laughs> mayhem. Some sexuality and language. I, I might, I might say that the final scene, or I guess the penultimate scene, constituted mild partying. Mm, that's true. Wait, there's also there's also a side boob, so we have that. The plane blowing up. <laughs> Is it the partying or the side boob, Kelly Wand? Oh, I'm there's mild that. there's mild partying for everyone but the Asian guy. It's just mild very partying. Yeah, yeah, that's the state I'm in. Right now, now. Well, let's see. So, speaking of partying, uh, Fast and Furious oh, Six had a almost. It fell just short of a hundred million on its opening weekend. But it broke, so sad. Uh, didn't it break records? 
What records? I'm not aware of that. Did it break records? I thought it may have the best Memorial Day box office ever. Uh, I did look up where it fell in the overall ranking. It is 26th in terms of the highest opening weekend. Uh, so maybe that is a good Memorial Day uh, take. I don't, and I don't Hangover know. Hangover got crushed, didn't it? Hangover. No it did. Hangover made something like 40, 45, like low 40s, I, I think. Not, not one good joke in that preview. Not one. I don't want it's like bloodless giraffe decapitation. You're taking um, it would make it interesting. Which is, which is a funnier preview, that or the internship? <sighs> At least the internship has things that I that I think the writers thought were jokes. Yeah, I agree with <laughs> the hangover ones. Just remember these dudes. Now it's, but they're trying to make it an action movie, is what I think yeah. I read, and then I zoned out. So maybe. Uh, so let's see on uh, Metacritic, which rate rates the uh, which averages uh, the ratings in various reviews. Fast and Furious Six is at sixty one. <laughs> on Rotten Rotten Tomatoes, Kelly, want to just guess? Take a wild guess. The what percentage of reviews of Fast and Furious Six are positive? Fifty three. Wrong, Kelly. Want wait, 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 wait. Seventy seventy two. Seventy two. Oh, you were going to say seventy two, weren't you? They're the e- it's the easier room. The tomatoes are less rotten than the meta fruit. Um, I don't think. Well, they're different. They're different. Uh, me- don't math me. The more <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, then let's go straight to some pros. Kelly Wand, something I've been looking forward to ever since I saw Fast and Furious Six. Why don't you give us a f- fast sixopsis? <sighs> what would you call a synopsis of the plot? I don't know. I don't. I don't. Curiosis. Uh, yeah. Right. So does every movie? Is it is it called different things for the different Fasts and Furiouses? No, every movie is called a Fast and Furiopsis. All right, well, th- let's have let's have our sixth. Actually, not really, because we've only done one on this podcast. Let's have our our second Fast and Furiopsis for the quarter three movie. Is this though the first time we've done a sequel mm-hmm. opsis to another movie opsis? No, surely not. Uh, Iron Man? Didn't we do Iron Man two and Iron Man three? Uh, yeah. um, That's Avengers? before the opsis, I think. The Avengers is a sequel to Thor. No, it's not. No, wrong, <laughs> incorrect. Salem's it's, uh, it's a sequel to the Samoan Thor. <sighs> it's circumference of Thor, Tom. <laughs> Kelly Wan, I want you. I've been waiting for all to say this. Kelly Wan, I want you to drive it like you stole. Ah, he's your very good friend. See what you did there? Yeah. Fast and Furiopsis six in two D. Paul Walker's all. Yes, yeah, second place, bitch. Almost had you for the sixth time in a row. Vin Diesel's all. Yep. I'll, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can. Right out of the gate. You're awesome. <laughs> He's the only character I can do. He's kinda- I'm, a, I'm a little worried. You, I, I feel like your Paul Walker sounds a little too much like Keanu Reeves. Well, compared to my Vin Diesel, he's close. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I am an FBI agent. There's a lot of hard characters. Uh, uh, what? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Let me start all over. Paul Walker's all, yeah, second place, bitch, almost had you for the sixth time in a row. Vin Diesel's all, uh, yeah, Paul, there were only two of us. <laughs> <laughs> Your Vin Diesel is so low, low key. I like it, though. It's as close as I can get is the voice. No, it's, it's, it's an accurate representation. <laughs> his voice comes out of his arms, and it's just, we're not the same. <laughs> I don't get, I don't pull the same arm fetishists that he does. I think they look at us both, and I don't know. You'd be a good wingman. Anyway, what was baby oil? Oh, save it for the. I, 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 what? 
Yeah, Paul, there are only two of us. Also, pretty sure I lapped you a few times since you've been missing for eight months. Also, I was on foot. Also, you don't need to crow about second place every time. Just parking. Also. All right, I get it. At I'm still as awesome a cop as I ever was. No one's disputing that, Paul. Hey, look, it's the baby I made with your sister. Who takes after his daddy? Oh, you mean he can't drive for shit either? Fuck you, Jordana. Why'd you marry me then? Because Ben's my brother. <laughs> hey, look, I got this sweet-ass toy car that looks just like mine. Let's see if baby fits in it. Honey, that's something else. You really should give him a name. Benzol. Look, I got him a toy car, too. It's kind of like that gag at the end of the fifth one where we one-up each other with super expensive cars, only this time we're doing it with inexpensive toys. You're welcome, audience. <laughs> Bro, you got a toy car for the baby? Because this one's mine. <laughs> Shit, can you help me get it away from him? He's gooing it all up. Fuck. The Rock clears his throat, uses a mirror to check if Justin Lin's still breathing, and goes, Uh, this what a hundred zillion dollars buys, Toretto? That's going to be my rock, so get used to it, fucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stay right up for the next FF. Ben's all. Oh, fuck. Let's go back to The Rock, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Too much. Too much. Wait, one second. Just checking my notes. <laughs> the rocks all. This what hundred zillion dollars buys Toretto. Thins all. These are two action sequences padded out with two hours worth of flashbacks and shots of monitors blinking. You weren't hard to find. I wasn't hiding. Also, weren't easy to cast in other roles where you do more than hold a steering wheel. I wasn't acting. No one's disputing that. Anyway, some British guy in Moscow made a computer chip the size of a motherboard, or stole it. I wasn't listening. Since I have no competent colleagues in any branch of law enforcement, you and your team to steal it back or remake it. I'm still not listening. Then's all done. But only if we all get free car insurance for life and full pardons for a decade's worth of theft, murder, and hijinks. Or you triple our prison terms. Your choice. Take it or leave it. <sighs> That's the rock, not me. I'm really enjoying myself. In addition to the occasional car, you drive a hell of a bargain, Toretto. Remind me never to cross you if we play old maid. But damn it, if that chip gets into the wrong hands, it could cause almost as much carnage as we're about to trying to retrieve it. Fuck! <laughs> Such a good line. Totally ruined by wand. Made ruined. Damn it. Hang on, rock out here. <clears throat> rock. If that chip gets into the wrong hands, it could cause almost as much international carnage as we're about to try and to fucking receive. Because <laughs> we're about to, to retrieve it. Tom, edit that. Okay. okay. Let, me, let me have a look at that. We'll give it another pass and try it. This uh. <laughs> deserves better. You know, and I think your you're writing, your your dialogue's a little too ambitious for a Fast and Furious movie. Well, luckily we have editing, to, editing technology. <laughs> Oh, I thought baked and drunk and sleepy would help me read better. Anyway, let's do this after we talk way more. Oh, yeah. Also, your ex-girlfriend's one of his flunkies. We know you thought she was dead, but it turns out she just got amnesia when a car exploded far away from her and made her fall back into some grass. <laughs> Our forensics guys kind of screwed the pooch on that. Sorry about that. Anyway, here's her headshot. A little sticky. Sorry. It's a long drive. 
Yeah. Ah, I know. I guess I'm sorry. There's another really bad one, too. Pardon my French, but bro, it's me, Paul Walker, again, by the way. <laughs> Star franchise. She may no longer be the Michelle Rodriguez you used to have sex with. America. Amnesia is just long-term ADD, right? I think I got it, too. Fenzal, you never turn black without family, except when it does. Wait, I mean, you never turn your back on family, unless it's those Portuguese dudes from the fifth movie whose specialty was blowing up toilets. Or sexy little what's-her-face here, my Mexican highway patrol woman girlfriend. Honey, we've had some good times, but come on. Vaguely same ethnicity, but you're no Michelle Rodriguez. We cool? She's all. If I saw a photo of someone I used to have sex with, essay, I'd drop everything and fly to Moscow. I'll still be here when you bring her back to say Cinco de Mayo and help guide the Varaga inside her chalupa. I, too, loved another more once. You guys still awake? <laughs> Thanks, babe. You're the second greatest. Now hand me those three cell phones. It's time for a team reassembling montage. <laughs> Operators, get me both our black guys. <laughs> ring, ring. Tyrese Gibson's plan. Who dat? No, I was gay at Death Race. Straight in Legion. No worries. Happens to me too, yo. Ring, ring. Huh? A cum water chip. Damn. Bitches, please accept these free vouchers for lima beans at Trader Joe's. Pilot, head for them power lines. I got some motherfucking transmission fluid to funnel. I could do Black Tom, right? Black Tom? <laughs> ring, ring. Yo, the Martin Lawrence-looking one? This is he. Dwayne Hoonson? I'll be right over soon as I'm done blowing my cover and attracting police attention. He hangs up and hits a button on a garage door opener. As an ATM over his shoulder starts squirting CG money all over the CG crowd, <laughs> my escort to the movie stood up, pumped her fist, and shrieked, Nice! And she had to listen to the last podcast. <laughs> She's got a deep voice. Uh, <clears throat> ha ha, look at your forehead. You look at your own forehead. Might be easier with a mirror, though. Hang on, I got an extra rear view in one of these Thomas guides. It's missing all the glass, though. All right, you dueling streetwise C-3PO's. That's enough forehead offing for this act. Now, according to these blueprints, we're going to need one car chase in Moscow, England, and another one on a freeway. Martin Lawrence is all. Spain might have one. On it. Rock's all. Hmm, I don't know. Still seems a little thin. Thins all. I could say more shit about family. Can't promise it'll buy us more than 45 minutes, though, of screen time. Rocks all. No, then you've done enough. We really need to spice this shit up a little. I was thinking maybe traitor in our midst. Thing is, there are so many of us that are superfluous and interchangeable. Who'd be a turncoat the audience would give a shit about, really? <laughs> I mean, we could just introduce a new character. Thins all. No, what are you talking about? Somebody comes out of nowhere, turns out to be the bad seed? Come on, even our fans would call bullshit. Hi, I'm Haywire's Gina Carano. <laughs> None of you have ever met my character, but consider me family, too. Assuming your family's the Borgias. JK. I guess since I say everything in a monotone, when I turn out to be evil, I'll just switch to even more of one so people will be able to tell. Also, since this is a franchise about formerly street racing and now computer chips, my specialty is martial arts that only works on other girls and British people. <laughs> they go to London, Russia. 
paid more attention than I needed to. The character actors all. I say, bleeding blimey bloke, you knaves, canst thou not read us thee this sign? Car thieves intercepting computer chips for foreign governments must pocket in the garage. Prithee thou, Yanks, durst not start another revolution against us, else thee be reminded'st how the lasteth one turned out. Roxall, nice try there, Queen Elizabeth, but our movies only need to pander to nationalities we either owe money to or are afraid of getting beheaded or nuked by. Now take all your clothes off and go onto the streets till you freeze to death. Aye, <laughs> matey, aye, tis the only way I'll learneth. Han, the guy who dies in Tokyo drifts all. Hey, look, another British guy. That's right, a uh, cool Asian. Honey, crushing his windpipe with your thighs might be a little dumb in this instance, since we need exposition from him, but I know it's your signature move. His girlfriend and Kron are all BRB. Tyree saw, man, she's really into you. Nah, she says that to everybody. Also, it's pronounced Han with an H. Walker's all. Hey, look, a third British guy we need stuff from. What is it this time? Security camera footage? Seriously? Rock salt. I got this one. Hi, I'm Dwayne Johnson. I think I'm in the FBI. <laughs> we need to look at your security cam footage till the audience zones out. <laughs> Make up nuts, his but a farthing's worth of gay apparel. God swallow me, Lord, you crushing me hand bones to Yorkshire pudding. Is this legal? <laughs> Why are my colleagues all snickering instead of helping me? What's this got to do street racing? <laughs> Been a while, Rodriguez. Your bullet penetrated only a quarter inch into my skin. Really took me back. <laughs> Look, I don't know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Latina, obviously. Yeah. But I was trying to kill you. It's my default reaction to seeing anyone in every movie and RL. <laughs> nope, you were aiming for a quarter inch in. You and I used to take turns having sex with firearms. I'm no doctor, but maybe this crucifix will help you remember. We used it as a diaphragm whenever the drugstore was closed. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're over the hump now, Dingus. So <laughs> I, too, can play the laser pointer game, Mr. Diesel. Your code of family's no match for my code of brainwashed ex-girlfriends. Alfita saying. Ooh, buddy, you're lucky I put a tracker on the back of your head and had a hunch you'd park here and that both you'd be standing right where you were when I positioned myself <laughs> on that roof over there with a sniper rifle, one with a laser scope that I just happened to bring, and that their laser scope guy didn't just shoot you before I switched mine on based on what I thought both of you might be saying all this time. <laughs> Actually, why doesn't their guy just shoot us both right now? Benzol. You mean this tracker? Uh, that's a bullet. Guess Rodriguez shot you again. Welcome to San Quentin, Mr. Walker. I don't remember the guy's voice, so there is that. We understand you need still more exposition from an inmate you somehow managed to put away in the three days you were a cop. He has no motive to tell you shit, but we figure he'll spill if you look at him between some bars for a couple seconds. You are going to need to attract his attention, though, so here's a police whistle. Ow, what the fuck, man? You just broke my nose and clawed my eye out. I meant when he was in the room with us and can see it. We're not even in the prison yet. Jesus Christ. <laughs> a bunch of stuff on a freeway happens. <laughs> I was only paying attention to the exposition scenes. Uh, uh, when The Rock says, Guys, try and distract the tank from the people. Shaped CG. The person I squired this movie went, 
Aww. The same stuff happens, but this time on a runway. Han, the guy who dies in Tokyo, drifts all. Don't worry, other chick, I got you. Hang on. Besides, Vin and Paul Walker fall hundreds of feet every movie, and they don't even get scratched. Worst case scenario, you get amnesia for a year or two. (laughs) No, Han, it's better this way, somehow. Other chick, no! (laughs) Well... I guess just pretend I'm grief-stricken instead of laid back next time you watch Tokyo Drift. Huh, continuity enthusiasts. Walker. Yay, we did it, guys. We obtained a computer chip that causes power surges. Their tank bursting out of an exploding truck was no match for our car flying out of an exploding plane and then (laughs) slowly away from the explosion. We're the greatest characters ever. Again. At this point, I look over to see my seatmate sobbing. Upon being gently asked what's wrong, she blows her nose and stammers. I was worried the chip wasn't going to make it out of the explosion. She begins crying harder, puts some eggs over her eyes, and texts sad face icons to my phone in the dark. The cool Asian guy who dies in Tokyo Drift dies again. Only this time I learn it's because Jason Statham blew up his car by shooting it. (laughs) Statham's all, take that car. Oi, listen up, audience. It's me, Jason Statham. You may not know my forehead yet, but I crash into shit and make phone calls in the middle of the street. I also play a character in the next movie. As the end credits roll, I ask my seatmate if she's still into it, and she's all, yeah, best surprise ending ever. But who the fuck's Jason Statham? The end. (laughs) Uh, All right, so let's see. Uh, This movie assumes that you... I think care a lot about the different characters and the continuity and stuff. Uh, spends a lot of, about all of them now. Well, spends a lot of time sort of, you know, making sure that you realize they got backstory and relationships going and all that kind of stuff. Um, Dingus, you've recently been catching up on some Fasts and Furiouses. Uh, how does this fit in with the others for you? I, I don't understand why you guys are so down on Tokyo Drift. I love Tokyo Drift. I really liked it. Uh, I don't. Wait, understand. I thought that was Tom's favorite. No, Tom says that the beginning's great and the last two seconds are great, but otherwise it's terrible. No, I agree with Dingus. Uh, the first, the the opening is great, and the Vin Diesel appearance at the end is awesome. But yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of Tokyo Drift. Mm, when's the last time you saw it? Because I saw it for the first time a few nights ago, and I was really impressed by its energy and its soundtrack. <laughs> well, I would say. <laughs> Uh, compared Did you agree to with the music, compared to six. It, well, it's about cars too. It's about what it's. It's about racing and girls and cars. And this well, no, I, I agree. I mean, it's definitely compared to five and six. I mean, the, the Fast and Furious movies have just gotten increasingly dull, like, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. I liked five more than you, though. I remember liking five and, and thinking it had shit I hadn't seen. And I didn't see. I haven't seen two or four. I only see the odd numbered ones, and now six. Well, five and six do have. I mean, I, I think the whole point of these movies now, and I, I can't imagine Justin Lin is running out of ideas, is to drag something behind something else. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and five, he's been making these since three, though. He's probably he's lost his mind. Probably he's. Can you imagine, like, if Peter Jackson just been making Lord of the Rings movies? These are little boy fantasies. I mean, they, really, these are little boy fantasies. Let me think of, uh, I want to be a hero who drives a car, and I save a girl. I mean, it, they're, they're, they're teenage boy fantasies. 
Uh, I would agree that they're about that level of writing. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of, I, I agree with that. Um, but there's, just because, there's no reason whatsoever to recruit these guys to do this job. It's uh, just like some kid likes, oh, God, I love driving cars, but I've run out of sort of ideas of races. What else could we do? He's run uh, out of ideas of everything. He should go back to races. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of feel like the whole series is just sort of, what, you know, even they even make jokes about this is some 007 shit. Uh, this is a series, I think, without an identity. Um, certainly the main actors, I don't feel, can carry it. Uh, it. The fact that it's going on in spite of how flat, and I'm the world's biggest Paul Walker fan, by the way, and this movie does nothing to take advantage of what he's good at. Vin Diesel, it does nothing to take advantage of what he can do, which really isn't much at all. Uh, it, it throws around some ancillary characters who can be engaging to watch and charming, but it doesn't know what to do with them. Um, and it literally is, these movies are about what's going to get dragged behind something else. You know, what are we going to see? We're going to see the tank drag the white Mustang, and then we're going to see the planes dangling from, or the cars dangling from the cargo plane. Those were exciting, effective bits for me. But beyond that, there was pretty much nothing here as far as I was concerned. Uh, so, Kelly Wanda, in answer to your question, yeah, Tokyo Drift is great compared to what we've been having to sit through. Um, but I, uh, I I just feel like as the series has gone on, it's just gotten increasingly diluted, and uh, there's just doesn't know what to do with with its cast and with its 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 main cast members. I think it's I remember five being better value though, like like really thinking at least a bunch of different things happened in it, and Paul Walker was in it more. It is like every now and then in this movie, it's like a Paul Walker had to go be in a different movie for a while. Uh, there was there were long stretches like where, yeah, it's like they had to send different characters off into different sequences. It, it kind of felt like yeah. and the last movie had more of a sense of here's this group working together and trying to do a heist. Uh, this movie was far more scattered than that. I, I, it was supposed to be that, but it was it was done lamer. And this, I didn't sense Justin Lin's burnout in five, but in this one, he said he wants a break and he can't do seven because he's been doing these for seven years now. But I sensed that this time way more than in five. Uh, Dingus, you sound a little bit more up on it than than we are. Uh, like I, when you say they're little boy fantasies, like do you mean that as an, as an approving thing? Uh, I I just I mean it as as an excuse for the ridiculousness of it. It's just, it's an excuse to get this, this group of characters, this team, this family, whatever you want to call it, and wedge them into something that isn't street racing. Because the original premise of the, the first movie, which I loved, um, you know, is, is street racing and a cop trying to bust a bunch of street racers. And you can only take that so far, and then they decide, we're going to keep just, we're going to stretch this franchise as thin as we can, and we're just going to, plug these guys into whatever situation we want to plug them into and it and that's a kid's fantasy that's you know i'm a superhero and uh, i can drive a car and i have magnetic hands and i can also fly and also see through buildings i mean it's just we're just going to layer in more and more abilities onto this group of people just because we want to keep them around now i'm quite up on it i i, I loved uh one of the two movies that it is um quite a bit i i think that the whole that whole group of characters, and this is almost exactly how I felt about Fast Five. Although I, I thought Five was was even dumber than this. Um, yeah. I love I love watching Ludacris work. I love uh, sitting around with Tyrese. I I love uh, Sun Kang. I think he's 
amazing. I would watch almost anything he's in. That's why I liked Tokyo Drift so much. Um, I I liked all of those funny characters, and I just thought that it was hilarious watching them uh, just have their scenes and then having to watch them watch the tough guys say lines that were incomprehensible that the, that the tough guys could not deliver to save their lives. Uh, I, I thought that that was hilarious. Um, and I thought that the movie had the good sense to let Paul Walker run off to prison for a while. <laughs> and so we could stick around with Ludacris for a little bit longer. Uh, I sort of feel like I, <clears throat> like there's no reason that your two leads need to be this bad though. <laughs> and that, that really that's a huge liability for me. I mean, every time that Vin Diesel has to say something meaningful or you know you know the scene there there's supposed to be some kind of heart or emotion Ugh. when he has that yeah. scene with Michelle Rodriguez, and there's just nothing there. It's just flat and and Paul Walker too i mean i I really, really am an enormous fan of him when he plays this everyman who's in over his head, who's that kind of out of his element. I think Paul Walker is, is amazing in Running Scared. Uh, I really even, unironically, really like Into the Blue and Eight Below. Uh, and it's the same, and even in the first Fast and Furious, the joke there is that he's in over his head. But once they have Paul Walker trying to stand there and look tough and earnest and serious and be an action hero... I'm I'm completely not sold. I feel like they're completely wasting him. Ben Diesel, the guy is a big dope, and he's lovable, and I like him as the dopey older brother, which, again, is is exactly what he was in the first Fast and Furious. But once he's supposed to be a super tough badass... I, I'm like, who are you guys kidding? I'm not falling for this. And, and so, Degas, it just drives me crazy, even though I'm with you, man. Tyrese, Tyrese, like, goofing around with a vending machine during the exposition. <laughs> yeah. Who cares about what the, the exposition is? Let's have a joke about Tyrese needing change. Uh and I just sort of feel like, you know, the the movie has to – it's almost like out of obligation. It's got to make Paul Walker and Vin Diesel seem like badasses. And it's it so fails so miserably when it focuses on that that just the movie falls on its face for me. And that all that ancillary stuff that that I think both of us enjoyed, Dingus, just can't redeem it as far as I'm concerned. And it's why – it's part of my problem, too, with the Tokyo Drift. I mean, Lucas Black is, is again, just such a non-entity. The poor kid. I feel awful for him. Um but I, I just if you can't anchor your movie around a substantial presence, uh, it's just not going to work for me. Mm. I like the ridiculousness, but there was way too much schmaltz in this one compared to the fifth one. Even. Well, it really wanted you to like it, and it, it was way too concerned with continuity. By the way, and I didn't remember. I, I good God, I can't keep. I, I don't remember the, the plot of five or four or two, uh, <laughs> and it really felt like I was supposed to. Have cared yeah. about that stuff. Well, the and opening again, th- credits set all that up. You can you can see all five <laughs> movies. Yeah. Well, and I love that that the opening credits are just the action sequences. Nothing about the relationships. <laughs> nothing about who is whom to who. And it's it's just okay. Remember, this was the movie that had this yeah. sequence, and this had the freeway <laughs> chase, and this is the one where the car went under the eighteen wheeler. And okay, now you're caught up. Go. <laughs> and now two hours of none of that, and Vin Diesel talking right. about family ties. I. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I just took such delight. I understand why that is so was so irritating to you, Tom, because uh, normally it would be. But at the beginning, when Vin Diesel squares off against Dwayne Johnson, 
it's just like it's amazing to me how he is the anti charisma to Dwayne Johnson's charisma. Yeah, I mean he he he's like the black hole of charisma. Every time Dwayne Johnson like radiates something, Vin Diesel just swallows it up, and there's nothing. I don't know what happens to Vin Diesel, but I love watching him talk in this. And then Dwayne Johnson, I I think feels like he has to counter that by being extra buff and charismatic. (laughs) He has these awesome lines. Like they, they, they hit like thunder and disappear like smoke. I mean, none of his lines make a lick of sense, but he just, he just tries so hard to deliver them uh, that I just started to just fall in love with how, Awful. I I don't know why this is. I honestly don't know why. But I fell in love with how awful the leads were, and because I I thought that the the other characters were so great in all of their scenes that when we had to fall into the black hole of watching that scene you're talking about with Vin Diesel and Michelle Rodriguez, I was quite enamored of it because it was so horrible, and I you can't know, explain why. No, Dingus, I agree. There's definitely something endearing about how awful they are. And I think that partly just has to do with how much goodwill I have for Paul Walker, for Vin Diesel's uh, Riddick, not the movies, but the games, uh, for some of the other stuff Vin Diesel has done. Like, like there is something endearing about how awful it is. So when I say it's awful, I, I, I definitely grant there's something endearing. But uh, let me float something here. Um, I got in a uh, big uh, sort of a days-long dispute with someone that I was recently working with because I told him, and I had to think after I said this, I had to think, did I really say that? But the more I think about it, the more convinced I am. I'm going to float a proposition, you guys. I want to know what you think of this. Dwayne Johnson is a better actor than Harrison Ford. True or false? Harrison Ford in 80 or now? Oh, of all time. Just overall. You look at Harrison Ford. Uh, you're dumb. I'm dumb. I guess you don't agree with that. Of course not. We've already. Yeah. Oh, come on. Well, we haven't <laughs> talked about it on the, on the podcast. Uh, so the thing is, the world. Well, it, no, it, not it, at all. Not at all. Here, let me let me then let qualify me to like to to like uh, four notes. Then yes, maybe. But I, well, let, let me let me qualify by saying I definitely agree that Harrison Ford is a bigger celebrity. He's more iconic. Uh, you know, he, he certainly has had a, a more lucrative career. Uh, he's a bigger box office draw. But when it comes to being an actor, to performing, you know, Harrison, Harrison Ford as a celebrity can do one hell of a Harrison Ford in any given movie. But Dwayne Johnson has this charisma that rises above any material he's in. Dwayne Johnson also has range. When have you ever seen a movie and thought, God, that was terrible? But Harrison Ford was great. Uh, the fright, or uh, wait, what lies beneath? Harrison Ford was good in that because I, I actually haven't seen that. That's presumed a, guilty guess, or presumed innocent. Presumed guilty. <laughs> I guess that kind of gives it away. But, but was he good in that? In that, like you enjoy watching Harrison Ford, or was he good in that you saw a, a really good performer? Like I think of Pain and Gain, Kelly Wand. I think of how awful Pain and Gain was, but how keenly aware of of I was of, of Dwayne Johnson's terror. Sure. Um, I, w- I said it was worth seeing for Dwayne Johnson. So. But do you, do you really think that Presumed Innocent is the counterpart to that? Like, we're saying, well, are you talking about range, or are you just talking partly, about partly? Like, I do because I do think a lot of actors just play themselves, and that's because sure. they're celebrities. But then there are actors who are really good performers, who have charisma, who have range, uh, who can transcend material. And I just don't feel Harrison Ford certainly charismatic, but I don't feel Harrison Ford has that to the degree that Dwayne Johnson has that. <laughs> So I, I'm just on record. I'm saying I think that Dwayne Johnson is a better actor th- than Harrison. It's all semantics, though. That's such a slippery. I mean, you could pick a word out of a hat, like oh, he's better than Dustin Hoffman. 
because Dustin Hoffman's playing himself. Well, it does depend on sort of yeah. It, a lot of it has to do with like what do you look for in an actor? You know what quali- What do I mean by good actor? But I, I was just keenly aware of watching this how good he was with these terrible lines that Dingus is talking about. And you know what? Harrison Ford can't even manage a Russian accent, much less bad dialogue. Uh, yeah, I know, but just, but it's like Michael Douglas is really good in in movies where it's like set now, but in a period piece he'd be terrible. So Paul Giamatti, like, for instance, yeah, terrible and right, same thing. Dwayne well, Johnson, Dwayne Johnson could do period pieces. Harrison Ford, nope. Good like Ford. what? Which one? Like the Tooth Fairy. The Tooth Fairy. I think he might go back it's in time. Oh. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's a. Uh, let's see. What's I don't know. What's a period piece? You know what? Uh, Scorpion King. He could. He couldn't play Lincoln. I almost said Lincoln. That's awesome. I love you, Kelly Wand. <laughs> see, I think I would rather hang out with Dwayne Johnson. He seems like a much nicer guy. It seems like Harrison Ford uh, would be somebody who would be disagreeable to hang out with. Um, but I think that he's done better work. Uh, he's done better things. I mean, Witness, he's really great in that movie, Witness. I don't know if you ever I'm saw sure, that. I'm sure that if Dwayne Johnson did a Peter Weir movie, he would be every bit as good as Harrison Ford. I think he did. The rundown was Peter Weird, isn't it? Isn't it like <laughs> wrong, Peter? Peter Burke. Nice try, Dinkus. Oh, I thought he was bringing uh, ice to a bunch of indigenous peoples. Well, but but you can think of something like Southland Tales. Uh, I, I, I Dwayne Johnson. I liked him in that. Uh, and Mosquito know. Coast. Mosquito Coast is a freaking amazing performance. I mean, mm. Harrison Ford. Uh, that character, Ali Fox, is a freaking amazing character, and he's great in that. So he, he has a couple of tricks that he relies upon, just as Dwayne Johnson does. But I'm not going to imagine Dwayne Johnson doing a Russian accent either. I mean, he's fine. I would rather hang out with him. I think he's he's entertaining. I think he works his ass off to get things right. Which, again, Harrison Ford, you see him phoning in. I've never seen Dwayne Johnson phone something in. Harrison Ford absolutely has phoned stuff in. So that, that again, I would, when you talk about working his ass off, Dingus, I, I think that, that, goes part, that partly goes into what I'm talking about when I want to say he's a better actor than Harrison Ford. Uh, oh, certain, I would say that at this point he probably has a better work ethic. All right. Well, I'll take that then. Good enough. <laughs> uh, let, let me. So uh, another thing that I wanted to talk about that drove me crazy about Fast and Furious Six that I don't think bothered Dingus as much, Kelly. I'll be curious if this bothered you. Uh, I thought the action scenes were just absolutely inept. Yeah. Uh, the direction of this just the, from the way it was cut to the way some of it was shot to the situational awareness to you know what he was focusing on. I mean, he, it's just so rote. Here's a shot of somebody shifting into low gear yeah. and foots on pedals and. Uh, who's Zero visual flow. Yeah. So, Dingus, did that bother you, or did you? Uh, were, were you sort of more forgiving of that? How, how did that? that the other ones have good action, I think, including five. I like. I could five, kind of see what he was trying to do in five, sort of. And in this, every every no, there wasn't one good action sequence in this movie. I didn't think. Dingus, how do you feel about that? Yep. Well, well I would like to separate action sequ- sequences from fighting sequences. If we could for a second, um, I think that there is a lot of inept direction in the action in this movie. And there's a couple of moments where people are driving. I don't know which car they're in and who's supposed to be where and how the cars are supposed to be situated. And I thought uh, also the fighting, some of the fighting was was so quick cut and close that I couldn't see what was going on. And you have a couple of people here who can really handle themselves in a fight. So let us see it. You've got Gina Carano. Pull back and let us watch her fight Michelle Rodriguez. Let's let's see this fight. Uh, but that said, that juxtaposed against, say, the, the, um, the Han and uh, Roman fight at the same time as the, the Riley and Letty fight is going on. I thought that was great. <laughs> 
I love that Dingus knows these names. I have no idea who Dingus is talking about. <laughs> Han- yeah, I know. Yeah, Hans who dies in Tokyo Drift. I did know that one, but who were the and other ones? He's Michelle Rodriguez. The Asian and the black himself. guy fighting the, the one guy who can really fight, and it's the comical fight where they're getting thrown. The subway fight. The subway fight. Yes, the subway fight. I would have to say it's in the tube, Tom. Come on. <laughs> You're in the tube. Dingus. Yeah, you bet I am. And so... And so at the same time, Gina Carano and Michelle Rodriguez are having a fight in earnest, but right. then there's this funny fight that's going on that's yeah. that's offset. I really liked that. See, that um, is, is what drove me crazy, the intercutting between those two things. I mean, there's, yeah. there's such a school of thought in action sequences. Is Well, if there's one thing better than one action sequence, it's two action sequences happening simultaneously, and we'll intercut between them. Uh, yeah, well, maybe if they were both in earnest, but one of them is funny. One of them is a funny fight, so it's, oh, it's so. funny to have that cut right. against each other. I think you're so giving them credit. Because, did, Diggs, did you see any of that in the finale, though? Well, the, well, the finale. See, the, here's here's the problem. The, the movie starts to lose me when that tank is running over all those cars. Oh my god! And, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, yeah, we. I'm sorry, sorry go ahead. Go ahead. people. Let's let's pretend they're all running out of their cars. Well, we really that that for all I'm thinking of is in all these SUVs, this tank is running over our families, and we're just killing a yeah. bunch. of people. And then they're like, distract them from the people, and then we're going to show people running on the median. It was just. It really kind of got mean spirited and disgusting. <laughs> well, I don't know about I don't know about mean spirited dingus because it didn't even acknowledge it. I just think lazy and sloppy. Uh, but, I, yeah, because yeah. I because I, I remember like there's there's a scene in, in Die Hard Five where Bruce Willis is like driving over traffic and and you could kind of watch it and think okay maybe nobody got hurt. They're careful enough <laughs> to not show the complete the entirety of a car getting mushed down. But here, I just think they were so lazy and sloppy and it didn't even occur to them that, that some of us watching were like, whoa, you just, like you said, Dingus, you just ran over a family full of people in an SUV. I mean, there's no denying that when that tank crushes a car, that, we, that people just got killed in there. And I don't even think the movie's aware of that. I think the movie becomes aware of it late. It's, it's very weird. It's like somebody saying something mean and then they go, oh, <laughs> I was joking. Because <laughs> yeah. late in the scene, it's, it's so bizarre. Yeah, yeah. In the scene, you see people running around. But early in the scene, it's just that yeah. tank is mowing over SUVs like nobody's business. They're so, running from where, like, it's, they saw it coming that far back and then they got on. <laughs> So by the time we get to the plane and then we lose when you know one of my favorite characters I mean I I don't know by that point I'm kind of like uh wait which one I really like um Cam Giselle I like Giselle yeah, I like and I liked that relationship because I like um I liked Han so much I like that actor I, I think like he's just he's such a good actor and uh he does that eating thing in uh, Tokyo Drift too. He's constantly eating. Well, I, I don't. I guess that's just a character choice. Also, maybe. And by the way, maybe he's not dead. We don't know for sure. He could have amnesia. That's right. And the third one is it's like uh, the bad it, the bad guy's kid goes to Han's place because I just thought this week and he goes, "What the hell are you stealing?" And then Han goes, "Hey, we're not in the Boy Scouts." Like that's his motivation, and then he uh, dies right after that. So like that's the entirety of the plot of Tokyo Trip. Compared to this, there's like nine million fucking pieces of exposition about nothing. Yeah. Uh, Jason Statham is right. I, who do, does who? Do you know who Jason Statham's character is, right? Yeah, he's Parker. What? No. Stop it. <laughs> what do you mean you know who his character is? His character... What do you? Actually, I don't. What's going on here, Dingus? Yeah, what are you talking about? I'm know. guessing, and I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing he's Shaw's brother. 
Oh yeah. I oh jeez, it's doing I like just, a die a die hard three. Because they, they they reference Shaw's brother. I mean Shaw talks about his brother talking you know, teaching him a lesson and somebody else says, Well your brother never told you this and then Jason ah, shows yeah. and says, You don't know who I am, but I knew you are blue. Kelly Wan, see how, how tuned in Dingus is to all the character exhibitions. <laughs> you know what though? They're already so top heavy with Statham types. I kinda wish it'd been like Burt Reynolds or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did did Dwayne Johnson say to Gina Carano when she makes some astute observation in front of a, a computer screen? Does he say to her, "A hot ass and brains too"? I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, about the computer or her? If you're talking about a careful woman, you're going to take over my job. Yeah, exactly. He says she's got a hot ass and brains too. If you're not careful, you're going to take my job. I don't oh, know. He's saying hot ass or big it? ass. He's referring to himself, so it's okay. It's not sense. <laughs> uh, and I, by the way, I could have just watched uh, Gina Carano and Michelle Rodriguez fight. Just, just give me two hours of that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> if you could pull back a little bit, that would be great. <laughs> uh, so, so Kelly Wan Dingus, uh, when the midair catch, when uh, Vin Diesel flings himself across the median to grab Michelle Rodriguez, or CG Vin Diesel grabs. That's not the median. That's, yeah. not the median. That's, that's a gorge. Uh, oh, it was the whoa moment? Yeah, that dingus goes, whoa! <laughs> yeah, it's always, like, altitude-based. You also you know, like, this, so hold on. You sound like I'm from freaking Feta Alpha Chi or something. <laughs> dingus, you definitely, anybody knows you knows you definitely have a, a sort of a frat boy quality, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, here's the other one, and again, again uh-huh. this is an altitude-based one. Uh, when Giselle falls from the car, and or she lets go of Han, and she shoots the bad guy behind him, and there's that silent moment where she falls in slow motion, and it's quiet in the audience, you could hear Dingus go, <laughs> what? Wow. <laughs> like, well, I, I realized the director was referencing Titanic, and I didn't know that he had that. What? I think he's referencing Argo, if anything. <laughs> that final scene was right out of Argo. Who dies in that? Well, no, the chase down the fr- the runway, the world's longest runway. I got her mixed up with Vin Diesel's girlfriend physically, I think, in five, so I was kind of glad in a way that they're both gone. I actually, for a while, thought that Michelle Rodriguez was Vin Diesel's sister, which <laughs> made some of the later scenes kind of you awesome. got her mixed up with Jordana Brewster. <laughs> yeah, oops. <laughs> yeah. Who, by the way, what? Uh, what uh, well, I, I don't get your I, – I, Kelly Wan, don't you, like, have – like, you think she's good? You enjoy her in the movie or something? Like, what? what is Jordana Brewster even doing here? It's like she just shows up for the last scene. Uh, she has to uh, – I like that Paul's not no. at all concerned about the baby. Yeah, he doesn't ask. Who's <laughs> hey, watching? Uh, Jack. Where's Jack? <laughs> I know. It's like, and why not? It's like, if she's kidnapped, but the baby's not. Like, wouldn't it be more dramatic if the baby was kidnapped? Like, it, it's Kelly just, Wan, that yeah, that might harm their their uh, PG thirteen rating. And it's such a, it's like they're on a wall too, and she's handing the baby over the wall. So it's like we don't even know like what she's. Does she have time to get over the wall? She's like, no. We're just assuming she's being. She has no choice. No, take the baby, and I'll just stay here in the yard, even though it's like two feet to go with you. And what if they kill you and the baby? Never mind. Why do I think about this fucking movie? <laughs> but so cheap. It's like it was very cheap for the sixth Fast and Furious movie, by my reckoning. 
I guess the cars were attractive, wouldn't you say? Sell them. It was tanks and CG. I don't know who drove what, and nothing. Is that was at the beginning? Was that supposed to be the race? Like the only race in the movie? Is yeah, and, and by the way, Paul Walker does not come in second in that race. Which one? Yeah, Kelly Wand. Which one? In the, the one, the very first race, he wins. Wait, in this movie, in six? Yes. See, it's not racing. See, Kelly Wand, Dingus. Dingus is paying attention to the whole grid placement of who wins That's how many not, races, even. It's just parking. It's not a race. Tom, from now on, when we have conversations, I want us to stand next to each other, looking over each other's shoulder. Why? Because the nice things getting on. No, just the way he shot that final scene with Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson. It's like they're supposed to be looking at each other, but instead the perspective oh, of the yeah, camera yeah. makes it look past each other. Yeah, it, too. yeah, it makes it look like one of them. It's like the same way that Peter Jackson shot Ian McKellen and uh and, and a Hobbit. <laughs> like it's like one of them's supposed to look shorter. Yeah. I don't know what that was. But they literally and look almost like they're looking at each other. You're right. It's very strange. Right. Like, it's like and he was constantly. And he was constantly, too, uh, doing that whole Tony Scott thing from Unstoppable, where at any given moment, the camera was most likely moving from left to right on a dolly. I mean, just constantly, let's just move the camera left to right on a dolly, left to right, left to right. In that scene with Michelle Rodriguez, it was was an Oliver Stone, just, we're going to constantly tour the entire scene on a gimbal. It was just driving me nuts. See, Dingus? See? See what you're defending? Uh, we're in this part of the podcast, so now I can say I really hated it. The Rock's a better actor than Michael Bay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well let's uh, let's do a three by three. Uh, Dingus, what do you have for us? Let's hear you segue from Fast and Furious Six to this week's three by three. How are you going to do that? Well, there's Family. a moment in Fast and Furious Six where a character gives up her life in order to save her beloved. That's not compassion, that's sacrifice. I thought it was pronounced beloved. Damn it. Uh, so these are your favorite moments of compassion. And uh, so, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Wait. Han's girlfriend compassionately commits suicide. Uh, didn't you take something off the table, Dingus, that I thought was pretty awesome, that I was upset at you because it actually was like, oh yeah, this is a cool topic. We could have talked about that moment, but Dingus took it off the table. Yes, there's a a movie uh, that stars Captain Kirk. Um, That would be Chris Pine in the movie uh, Carriers. And actually, the the moment doesn't involve him. It involves Piper Parabo. And it's a moment where she takes compassion upon another character, where she is trying to alleviate the suffering of this character, uh, or even... I don't know. I, I think because compassion, there's an element of compassion that is uh, suffering together, and uh, and so in carriers, how much do we want to talk about carriers? You know, I'd just say there's an awesome moment in carriers, and that people should see it. Okay, there's an awesome moment in carriers, and people should see it. So often in movies, compassion can lead to the destruction of uh, people in the movie. It can be a dangerous thing, and it can be a helpful thing. So what I wanted to explore a little bit was compassion. So, real quick, I want to say uh, one of Dingus' favorite comics, Sarah Silverman, said of Chris Pine, I heard this on a podcast, third hand, that he had, and I apologize if there are any children or people listening who don't like 
coarse language, but Sarah Silverman said that Chris Pine had dick sucking lips. Oh God. <laughs> and eyes. <laughs> I I apologize for for Sarah Silverman. She shouldn't have said that. I feel that's in poor taste. And Dingus, I can't believe you brought that up. I apologize. All right, so <laughs> Kelly Wand. <laughs> lips work both ways. I mean. Oh, I, 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 I should not have said that. Kelly Wan, why don't you start us off? <laughs> In Russia. <laughs> Kelly Wan, what is your number three Good example show. of a moment of compassion in a movie? Oh, this one I may need some help on, which I know is not one of the rules, mm-hmm. but it is now because I couldn't figure it out. But my number three was Goon, but the whole movie. <laughs> well, that, the movie is, in a way, a moment. It's just it a really nine-minute moment. Because he was the most compassionate movie character, I thought. And I feel bad that this wasn't my number one favorite movie of two. Dingus, can you help him out with that, Dingus? What's the most compassionate thing he does in that movie? I forget. Uh, <laughs> somebody steals one of his speeches, and he's okay with it. That's okay. That's what I was going to go with. But then I thought, is that really compassion? No. He's not really giving But I'm trying it. to help you. <laughs> mm, okay, no, no. The coach giving him the uh, wolf. <laughs> That's my number three. Kelly, that was a great last-minute save. What is the na- what's the name of that wolf? Loopy. Very good. <laughs> From Goon. That's awesome. See? Uh, all right, I, I don't, I, that's a tough one to follow, but let me try. Uh, my favorite – I actually have a bunch of these that I want to mention in Runners Up, but ultimately I, I went with my favorite moments. Uh, there were some that were more favorite than others, but here, here's the ones that I picked. So this entire movie is about compassion, I feel. Um and it's about uh, it's one of those sort of cautionary tales that Dingus mentioned, where compassion can be your undoing. Uh, in this movie, compassion by the end of the movie has basically destroyed the entire world, and it's it's the finale, not the finale, but at the very end of Twenty Eight Weeks Later, Harold uh, Perrineau uh, decides yeah. decides to airlift two children out of London out of compassion. You have found out earlier in the movie it doesn't hit you over the head with this, but earlier in the movie you found out that he's a father. Um, he's not supposed to do this. He's under orders not to do it, but he does it anyway. And lo and behold, we find out at the very last scene that it spreads the infection out of London and has destroyed the world. Uh, and that's a message throughout 28 Weeks Later, by the way, how uh, compassion can be people's undoing. Uh, and 28 Weeks Later, which has the kiss, exactly, but that kiss is so weird. I don't know what motivates yeah. that. Um, but 28 Weeks Later, as I've maintained many times... People say, oh, the military is inept in that movie. 28 Weeks Later is an, a perfect example. The military is is entirely effective. That condition uh, red that Idris Elba announces, it works. It contains the outbreak. But what what keeps it from working is Harold Perrineau being compassionate to these children. Um, um, you're crazy again. Okay. About I, I what? crazy as I heard before. Because the, the military is inept, but it works for me because it's like a nightmare kind of logic. Well, how are they inept? They, they, do, they completely all... succeed except for Wait, this which... one helicopter pilot. Yeah. No, but the, okay, here's the thing. Uh, what's, uh, what's the dad's name? Uh, Robert Carlyle. Robert Carlyle. Robert Carlyle, like, has access somehow to that whole fucking facility, and he goes around infecting everybody, even though he was locked in that room or like closed behind it. Uh, he was not locked in the room. He what do, you, what do you mean he was locked in the room? You don't know he was locked in the room. He got in there. He unlocked. He has it. card. He can get anywhere in that whole building and outside and into the garage. Like they can't track down one dude, and that's all their job is. 
Uh, it gets behind the containment. But by the way, the point is, if the containment, if something like that ever happens, they announce, con- is it condition red or code red, Dingus? Is, code red's a Mountain Dew, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I think it's, it's con- condition red. Once that that happens, once that some somehow the, the chain of command or the, the perimeter is breached or whatever, they go to condition red, and that completely contains the outbreak. Um, but it doesn't. I think it is code red, though. I think it's called code red. Oh, rats, because that's it is Mountain Dew too, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that's goofy. That's where they got the name. Yeah. Cram up <laughs> in the garage and let the guy, let the zombie with the key card get in the one exit. But that's the problem: is before they go to condition red, that's what they do. Once once they're worried about something happening, they have to contain all the civilians so they can protect them. But once all that goes to hell, they have to gun them down. They have to gas the streets. They have to firebomb downtown London. All of that works fine. It's Harold Perrineau <laughs> who screws up and airlifts uh, a carrier who doesn't show the symptoms out of the country and then basically destroys at least Paris, probably the world. Right. And luckily they have Hawkeye so they can take care of it. <laughs> he sees better from a distance. It's true. Dingus, what is your number three pick for a moment of compassion in a movie? All right. Here's a line from it. Mm-hmm. The Matador. The Matador. Me. Uh, Fargo. I think it's Hot Tub Time Machine. It's not. It's uh, a movie called Failsafe, uh, oh. which I don't think either of you have ever seen. Oh, hey, I've, I've seen, seen the, the live Fonda one, right? I've seen the yeah. live TV, the live telecast version. Uh, the Henry Fonda one. This is a uh, 1964d- directed by Sidney Lumet. Do you dispute the way I pronounce his name? Uh, only if I was French, but I'm not. All right, so. all right good. Uh, all right. So since compassion literally means to suffer together, or to suffer together with, I think is really? the way it's put. Yeah, suffering's True. built into the word. <laughs> that sucks. Well, it's it's about it's it's sort of a step beyond empathy. So compassion is also about suffering together with. Um, I doesn't it I technically to, mean feeling things as far as the. The cognate doesn't the word doesn't it mean feeling together? I mean, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to derail yeah, your thing. Well, yeah, but but the 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 English the English definition of it is to suffer together. Okay, okay. Um, but feeling together with is is a fine sort of uh, part of that definition, I guess. Um, so, uh, do you guys know how failsafe shakes out? Have you guys seen it? I do. Tom yeah, Tyson. it's where, no, yeah, it's where uh, the general launches the nukes and uh, they have to stop them. Wrong. <laughs> Darn. That was close. Was I close? There's something like that, right? I don't want to give it away though, because it's kind of a good twist. If you I'm not going to see some movie from 1964 before they knew how to make good movies. You're not going to, and by now it's it's fine if we spoil it. If you if you do, I think everybody should see Phil Safe because it's a wonderful companion piece to watching. Uh, Strange, strange love. love and understanding the whole political uh, you know studio political uh, thing that was going on between those two movies but in, in failsafe the, the same thing that's going on in Dr. Strange, strange love is going on in failsafe in that we've accidentally launched a, you know a nuclear strike on Moscow so I was right wait no okay sorry go ahead because you're supposed to guess the twist and that's not the twist oh there's a twist oh cool okay go ahead so so try and predict the twist from what dingus doesn't the twist is that it was all uh it was all a uh oh that it was a a machinery malfunction and that the nuke was never launched and that people only think that it was launched was that right 
That would be what you would say I would call a good twist. Are you fucking nuts? <laughs> it's Harrison Ford thing. It's, it's Halo 4 2.0, Bo. <laughs> so the wonderful thing about about Failsafe is and, and how earnestly it takes itself and how much compassion is in this movie because the characters are really uh, you know as as Henry Ford as the president with Larry Hagman as his translators talking to the Russian leaders and as the generals in the bunker are talking to the Russian leaders they're getting to know each other and they're getting to sort of basically feel each other's pain and figure out who's who and why how their lives have intersected and how they're similar to each other. Um, it becomes clear that the, the, the nuclear weapon is going to explode on Moscow. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. It's just going to happen. I don't believe it for a second, by the way, they're going to fix it somehow. Nope. They're not going to. They don't. So what the president has to decide to do is, uh, how, how is he going to avoid an all out nuclear war? Because if, one of our nukes hits Moscow, then they're going to launch all of theirs, and then we're going to launch all of ours, and that's it. And so what the president has to decide is, okay, uh, we have to suffer together. And Oh, I got it. I, can I guess now? Go right ahead. Yeah. So did they volunteer to nuke an American city? Exactly. Good, Tom. Ooh, do they pick which one? Is it uh, yes. not New York? That would be terrible. Washington. It is New York. And uh, they can't do that. See? Isn't that awesome? That's a great ending. Yeah, it is. And the pilot who has to do it knows that his family, his wife and his child, are what? actually visiting yeah. New York at that moment. They go, he knows, doesn't he? And they go, yeah, he knows. Well, wait, wait, wait. They do. They they that shit, Tom. Wait, something happens where at the last minute they fix everything, right? Kills his wife with a nuke. And no, York. come on. You guys are just... Imagine that happening now. Like Obama going, all right, look. Well, it's, it's going to be a little embarrassing, but... I have to nuke you. So in failsafe, they nuke New York City. Yes. Right. No, come on. In order to uh, in order to counter the uh, nuking of Moscow. Who directed so, this? Sidney uh, Lumet. Oh, you said that. That's right. Damn. Or the devil knows you're dead. So, uh, so what? You can look at this as a cynical sort of tit-for-tat moment, or we're just going to sacrifice something so that you sacrifice something. But what you understand as you watch the movie is how the relationships are built and how what the president is actually doing is saying, look, we're going to suffer in the same way you're suffering. Uh, we're going to feel your pain. Uh, we're going to feel what you're going through. We're going to go through exactly what you're going through. We're going to lose our most populous city as you are losing yours, and therefore... I am going to convince our generals not to launch all of our nukes, and you're going to convince your generals not to, not to lose all of your nukes. And I am personally suffering in this way, and you're personally suffering in that way. Because my best friend is the pilot who's dropping the nuke, and his family is there. And this is, this is sort of an important moment of compassion for me. Uh, it was going to be, actually, my number three was 28 weeks later, but I decided to drop that because no, that you, you can't choose that. Oh, uh, right. You can't drop it on the fly, Dingus. No, I know I, I wasn't. But okay. leading fly, in, fly away. later was in there because I love that moment in the helicopter and how that plays out later on. But then I remembered this moment, and it's very—it's just very weird that Matador quote is so odd because the the pilot ha- keeps having this recurring nightmare about this Matador that he believes is himself. Uh, it's really—it's a really cool movie. Um, if you. If you can sort of banish Dr. Strangelove from your head for a few minutes and watch it, uh, it makes a lot more uh, 
it has a lot more impact on you. But I've now, seen it so many times that I'm just I love this movie. Am I imagining that there was a George Clooney directed and starring uh, live telecast? I thought it was failsafe, but it was some it was, sort of no. It was this. Yeah, you're you're right. Oh. Did they didn't New, New York City in that? Did they? You think I would remember? Did I just forget I, that? I honestly don't remember much about it other than the feeling and the pacing of it. I don't remember what the actual story beats were or if they followed this particular movie because this movie has such an impression on me. But I remember that it – and it was failsafe. And uh, so I'm guessing – so Henry Fonda was the president in this movie? Yeah. Did it hurt his uh, chances at a re-election? <laughs> um, no, because this was his second term. Ah, good. Okay. <laughs> you know, as while well, Tom was trying to guess the city, I was thinking um, that it would be more compassionate if they dropped the bomb on Washington, <laughs> where they are, instead of where their wives are. I'm just saying. Well, Moscow's the ones who caused it. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, I, wow. I think it's Moscow, but I could be wrong. It might might have been Kiev or so. I I. I no, oh, they don't care about Kiev. That's a bunch of Ukrainians. That's not their New York. Yeah. They don't. No, no I, th- I think it was Moscow, but all the leadership had already – because they had time to relocate. Uh, they, they had already relocated to a secure location, whereas if, if Henry Fonda had made that choice, the leadership of America would not have had a chance to do that. Well, what if something right. goes wrong on the second one, and then they knew two minutes – like all the missiles accidentally go off? And they're one for Tell one, what would it be like if Michael Bay did a remake of Failsafe? Oh, God. <laughs> that movie was made. It was called Armageddon, but they changed it. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Hi, right, Kelly What is your number two pick for a favorite moment of compassion in a movie? Aw, your cat. <laughs> Aw, how does he know? <laughs> what the fuck? Did you hear that just... It ended in horror. Oh no! When I when I when I pick him up, he'll make the like he'll. Oh, I thought you smothered him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's still here. He's right here in my lap, listening, like in the listening last eagerly episode. for your uh, your. Oh, he's the chicken on the bus in Mash. Chicken on the bus in Mash. <laughs> I hate the dingus and I instantly. God, you guys in your like sixties movies. Chicken on the bus, most rated phrase. <laughs> um. Chicken on the Bus is my number two. No, wait, that's a TV show. Chicken on the Bus. Ah, number two is uh, in Babe, when James Cromwell does that dance to cure Babe's pneumonia or cold. I forget what it was. But does he do that funny dance? That's compassionate. Because he's a farmer, so it's like Babe's bacon. Most farmers don't dance to cure the mind. In fact, that's kind of not what they do. They just like they just shave the beaks off or whatever. <laughs> Dingus, what's your ruling on that one? <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't either. <laughs> That's my number two. All right, you're number two. All you're right, welcome. James, James Cromwell dancing, all right. You're welcome, this Pig. Babe. Yeah, it's Pig. <laughs> that, uh, wait. Yeah, it's the spider web saves the pig. That's Charlotte's web. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> I win. All right, my number two uh, favorite moment of compassion. Uh, I almost wanted to spoil the end of this movie, but uh, I realize it's not my favorite moment. You can see it. You you don't see it coming, but uh, the finale is, well, I'll let you discover it. But uh, there's there's a movie called 21 Grams, uh, and what what Sean Penn at a couple of moments does throughout the movie – a lot of the movie is Sean Penn feeling someone else's pain uh, and, and sympathizing, and there's there's some great scenes with him and Benicio del Toro later in the movie. But I think one of my favorite moments 
is when he is comforting Naomi Watts, and I will deliberately avoid saying too much about it, uh, and when he finally confesses to Naomi Watts, basically out of this sympathy for her and out of this empathy with her pain and with her suffering, he finally confesses who he is to her uh, and basically sabotages his relationship with her. And uh, and I just love that moment. Uh, I love, in 21 Grams, I love how Sean Penn's face is, is just kind of etched with worry and concern. Uh, he's a strange-looking fella, and it works so well in 21 Grams. Um, so my favorite moment is him telling Naomi Watts, who he is, which you wouldn't understand until you've seen the movie. But there you go. I love that I I finally know what you're talking about because I've finally seen this movie. Charlie, have you seen seen 21 Grams? I don't see movies in metric system. (laughs) Is that – you're talking about his expression or his decision to say words? Uh, His decision to say words. So basically he is – his relationship to Naomi Watts is related to this terrible tragedy that she suffered, and he portrays himself when he first meets her as, as just meeting her by chance. But really, he feels for her. He wants to uh, connect with her because he's related to this tragedy, and so on a false pretense, he meets her, and he hits on her, and he's a real doofus, and and they end up hanging out and spending time together, and as she is starting to be attracted to him and vice versa, he finally realizes that he has to be honest, so he confesses that he's been less than forthright about who he is and how he knows her, uh, and she freaks out on him, but he does it just from seeing her suffering so much, it gets to him, um, that he finally decides, I have to tell her who I am. Uh, so, there you go. You should see that movie, Kelly Wand. It's, uh, I've seen it, I just don't remember much about it except that it was kind of granular looking uh great cinematography yeah that's uh yeah and i was thinking while i was watching it if it was about brains it'd be better like more dramatic instead of hearts (laughs) it is about well kelly one hearts feel no they don't do they (laughs) uh Uh, all right so uh dingus what is your number two pick for a moment of compassion in a movie Here's a quote from it. I hope life on Earth is everything you remember it to be. I agree with Tom's cat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it's from Oblivion. Life on Earth. It's from Oblivion. Dingus has picked a moment from Oblivion with Tom Cruise and Andrea Risenborough. This is from the anti-Oblivion. And I can't stand that you mentioned Oblivion. Obviously, then, it's from Tron. Obviously, then it's from Moon. How dare you? You knew all uh, along. No. You had to bl- bring up Oblivion. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. I see what he's... I see. Yeah, what it's a great one. It's a very good yeah, one. It's a great one. I might change my number one now. All right, so which... You guys both know Moon. Uh, which which moment would you pick from Moon, if you could? Uh, First of all, I'm not... Yeah, I hate talking about Moon just on the off chance that somebody hasn't seen it, but I guess everybody who's, who's going to see it has seen it by now. Um, I feel exactly the same way, so I, I'm sort of ambivalent about talking about it. Um, so, yeah, so what are you going to do, Dingus? You said you, you what said you say, He was putting yeah. it on us. To, right, exactly. He was like, I'll let them spoil it. And then spoil the entire movie until they guess which one I picked. <laughs> so there's moments... There's a, moment, there's a moment where Gertie reaches out that I really love, but that's not the one I'm going to pick. It's it's a moment where where Sam uh, take Sam two say takes Sam one and treats him with incredible compassion, um, 
I just think this movie is about compassion and hope. And I think a lot of people missed that when they were watching this movie. And so I'm not going to go too deeply into it, but but there there's a moment where the filmmaker could have just thrown it away where uh, where Sam 2 takes Sam 1 and places him gently. And I I was just so taken by that moment, so taken by how carefully that moment was handled, and and how the character who was doing the action was obviously in great pain, uh, but doing what he had to do anyway uh, to take care of the other character. So uh, that's the moment I would choose, but there's many moments from Moon I think that you could choose, and if you haven't seen Moon, you really should. One of my favorite moments of Compassion and Moon is uh, Matt Berry talking on the video phone. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> and bringing the room back down. <laughs> Uh, all right, so Kelly Wan, what do you have to follow that? What then is your number one, which presumably is better than Dingus's number two, your number one moment of compassion in a, a film or motion picture? Well, my number one is the movie Silent Running when Bruce Stern blows up all the domes with his friends in them so he can have like the couple of rabbits that are. So Kelly Wan has no compunction about spoiling Silent, run- Silent Running. That's the beginning of it. What? That's the first scene. He blows them all up. Oh, oh before like, the... Uh, okay, right. Good point. You have no pro- pro- problem spoiling the premise, is what I meant to say. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's like... it's. I'm noticing a lot of like, fail-safe. Like, these movies wouldn't be getting made today, because you wouldn't get past the conference stage with the suits, where they'd go, wait, he kills the people to save the rabbit? What? Wait, he nukes New York? Don't, Kelly Wand... Uh, it would get made today because in Armageddon, Paris was destroyed. What's the... What, oh, so that's like a dome being jettisoned by... Yep, that's like New York being nuked. Michael Bay destroyed Paris in Armageddon. And there were three robots in Armageddon, too, that played cards. Three so. robots? There's no robots in Armageddon. It's not a science... It's not just goofy science yeah, fiction. Ben Affleck's one. Ben, yeah, damn it. Good job, Kelly. Oscar award-winning Ben Affleck. Um, see, see what I did. Do you don't? Right, so Silent Running. Talk more about Silent Running. Silent Running is a movie made in the '60s, and there's a <laughs> song that plays on it in the background. But I forget all the lyrics except the one lyric goes, "It's not too late. Cultivate." Does Silent Running hold up? Bruce Dern and those two robots. It's been a long time. Yeah. Well, he hits one of the robots because they're dumbasses and they like wander into the. It's one of those movies where it's like you you're unclear what the programming of the robot is supposed to be. Like that's a whole subgenre of movies. Yeah, really. Tony Stark is constantly calling one of his robots dummy. What's up with that? Yeah, it does whatever he wants. Hey, dummy! It knows where he's going to dodge faster than he does. You programmed it, jerk. Well, we can see. You know, we can see from uh, the movie AI how that is going to cause problems in the future. Mm. Why didn't you just name it, dummy? What does that stand for, Kelly Wand? Subatomic Underwater Diving Apparatus. (laughs) I don't think that works out. (laughs) My My number one pick for a moment of compassion, and I actually was convinced that Dingus had seen the movie, and that is why he picked the topic, um... But neither of you has seen this movie, so I can't say too much about it. You should see it, and I actually 
Careful there, Dingus. Careful. Uh, neither of you has seen this movie, and I wish you would, and I think we should do a podcast about it instead of maybe The Lone Ranger this summer. Uh, no. There's a movie called Upstream, <laughs> Upstream Color, which was directed by Shane Carruth, who uh, he did Primer. Uh, and that was a long time ago, and he's finally done his second movie. It's called Upstream Color, and I would say it's, it's, it's actually hard to explain what Upstream Color is about. It's one of those kind of movies, but I would say it's about the price that we pay for empathy, for compassion. Uh, and all I'm going to say about my one favorite particular moment, because so much of the movie is about that, is my favorite specific moment, um, I'm going to be vague, is how one couple reacts to the loss of another couple re- reacts to it reacts to another couple losing their children one couple loses their children and the moment of compassion is how another couple reacts to that and that's all i'm going to say uh you guys should see upstream color um i think you would both appreciate it and uh my favorite moment of compassion is about two-thirds of the way through it so there well, you go unless those people misplace those kids i don't want to see that movie I don't see a movie about somebody losing their children. Did they misplace them? So, Dingus, let me take off the list then. Let's see. Sweet Hereafter. You can't oh, never mind. Blah, blah. Uh, you, can't, you can't see. Uh, Crash. Crash. Shortcuts. Done. Um, the Shining. Yeah, Goonies. The Shining. Shining. Done. Goonies. Done. You do. Uh, Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters. All right. You got me. So I'll see you. Find the Witch in the Wardrobe. Hansel Gretel did it. Hook. Uh, the, the funny thing is, Dingus Poltergeist is off his list. Boom. <laughs> the funny thing is, Dingus is that people who have seen Upstream Color and who, and I don't know that there's many of them, and who know what I'm talking about, uh, probably think that it's a little silly what you've just said. Also, Pippi. Oh, good. Yeah. All right, so Dingus, what is your number one pick for uh, a moment of compassion in a film or motion picture? All right, here's a here's a quote from it. I found a dinosaur bone. Jesus. <laughs> Wait, it's not Jurassic Park. No, one's no, no, it's a throwaway line. Is it Cohen's? Am I dumb? Is it that easy? No. Okay. Is Tom wrong? That makes me smart. I don't know if Tom's wrong. Who knows what Tom is up to? I'm right. <laughs> uh, so this is from The Tree of Life. And this is the the very first act of compassion in the history of mankind, or actually before mankind. What's Tom sniggering about? <laughs> the thing is, it's such a I, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's such a weird moment that doesn't make any sense unless you read an interview with Terrence Malick, and you're like, oh, okay, that's what you thought you were doing. Interesting. <laughs> so not compassionate enough. <laughs> well, go ahead and explain it, Dingus. I. Uh... <laughs> oh wait, yeah, I know what he's talking about. That's a good one. I'm a fool. Wait, but the dinosaur doesn't say that. <laughs> no, but Ter- Terrence Malick does for him on his behalf. As a dinosaur? It's not Terrence Malick necessarily. It's Michael Fink, the guy who's sort of responsible for the sequence. So this is the Tree of Life. This is the sequence where the Troodon um, does not crush the head of the Parasaurophilus in the riverbed. <laughs> Tom, did he get the species right? I think he's full of shit. I think he's fishing. Uh, I don't know what. I think yeah. I think they were fake dinosaurs. They just uh, I don't. They I don't, were trained dinosaurs. That's why your mom let you see it. 
so the idea of this sequence is that it's uh, it's supposed to be like the birth of consciousness or the birth of compassion. And I remember watching it and just being so intrigued and taken by that whole sequence, the, the birth of the world and that whole dinosaur part and and then the, the Troodon putting its foot... Uh, you know, I don't know if you I call it dinosaur. I think it is a dinosaur foot. It's a hoof. On, on the head of the parasaur. It's a paw. It's a paw. And then choosing not to crush its head and then eat it, because a troodon is, of course, a meat eater, and the parasaurus is not. And that would be its prey. But the idea, the the... The construction of this movie, or the structure of this movie, is that you're kind of seeing the world through, uh, and the creation of the world in light of what's going on in this universe of a family and a god, dad, or whatever. Uh, but I, I really just love that moment as I watched, as I've watched Tree of Life several times and tried to figure out, what are you trying to tell us, Mr. Malik? Uh, and, uh, and whoever else is in charge of these sequences. Um, and so this, this idea that even though uh, anthropomorphizing reptiles or you know, extinct reptiles, um, with the idea that this is where the birth of consciousness happens, or the birth of compassion, as some people have called it, uh, is weird. I like it as it... Uh, I love it, actually, as it sits in the whole of the movie Tree of Life, which is a movie, I think, that... I think it was number six on my on my list that year. And I, and I love that center section, and the dinosaurs in particular, partly because I have an eight-year-old who is absolutely nuts about dinosaurs, and that's why I know that one of them is Troodon, the other is Parasolophus, and I know to say Parasolophus is there a Parasolophus. And um, so when that dinosaur is showing the other dinosaur compassion in deciding to quote-unquote do the right thing, even though in the animal kingdom, you know, a tiger's going to be a tiger, so who cares? Uh, I, I like that idea as sort of what is going on in the real world of this family and humanity. So that moment of quote-unquote compassion is my favorite. You know what? I'm going to change my number one now. Because I, I think that moment... I. I loved being puzzled by it and not knowing what was going on with it. And I just love how Malik can just go off on his own flights of fancy and I'm happy to make whatever sense I can of them or not. Uh, but, but reading that that was an interpretation, I, I just, that seems, seems so ridiculous to me. <laughs> Why would dinosaurs do that? And I, I, it makes me think, you know what? I now appreciate all the more, uh, what Ang Lee did with Life of Pi and that tiger. I just now I'm going to change my my favorite moment of compassion is Pi not letting the tiger drown. I'm now changing my answer. So there you go. <laughs> if I just uh, had turned around to say goodbye to him, then yes, I would agree with you. Good pie to him. Oh, See? I mean, uh, I thought that dinosaur left the other one to die, and it was the birth of sadism. Well, exactly, because it's hardly compassionate to not put the mauled dinosaur out of its misery. It's just later if I really run out of food. Okay. It really is kind of weird, yeah, because he just sort of walks away from it and has disregard for it. It's like he's not hungry and he's killed for sport. Like, that's a whole other interpretation of it. And to hear that, the, I guess it was the animator, Dingus, the fellow you mentioned, uh, sort of talk about, yeah, we were doing the birth of compassion. I'm like, no, oh, sh- shut I- up, dummy. That's what I kind of wanted to say. <laughs> At the time, though, I did have the same interpretation as Dingus, though, actually. I did go, oh, see, we're learning not to be dicks. Shut up. 
dummy. <laughs> You've watched too much Veep. Oh, you can't. You can't watch too much Veep, Dingus. Really? Julie Louise drives is so awesome on that Kelly wand. And it's, it's got. Well, and it's got enough of uh, Armando Iannucci. I don't know how to say his last name. The guy that did In the Loop. Uh, you know, it's just got enough of his his sort of like mean streak. That yeah, I'm really. Him and Julia Louise Dreyfus. That's something. Yeah. Actually. Yeah, definitely. And that, by the way, I think he would do a much better scene with uh, how dinosaurs mirrored early man's development. I would like to see him do that with dinosaurs. Maybe that's what it's about. Could be. Okay. It's like the dinosaurs had it better than we did, in a way. I hope Peter Capaldi voices one of them. <laughs> Peter Capaldi as the voice of a, a velociraptor would be pretty awesome. <laughs> Repetition. Get it? <laughs> what is the line, Kelly Wan? Let's hear it. Let's hear it again. What is the the famous? Rippity bye. I don't even know what you're saying. Rippity bye. No, repity because it's reptile. Even wow. though they're not actually. Wow, it was awful. But it's repity bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, uh, Dingus, do we have what do we have from from listeners? I have several runners up, but let's first see uh, if we have any listeners who've weighed in on this topic. Uh, we do indeed. First of, first up, we have Fred and Lynn. Hey guys, Fred and Lynn here to compliment Dingus on a great three by three. Number three, Stella Dallas, nineteen thirty seven. Oh, the Jesus. crux of the whole movie is about compassion. You have a problem about, with Stella Dallas? Well, I mean, she's not a porno. <laughs> Jeez, that's behind the green Dallas, I believe Tom's thinking of. But if you're just giving your kid to rich people. Isn't that more a glorification of money, man? She could just uh, take her on the railroad with her or something. Get some turnips. Number two, the scene in A Christmas Story when... Um, hey, I loved you in The Christmas Story. Um, the scene in The Christmas Story when the old man surprises everyone by revealing to Ralphie that he got him the BB gun Ralphie wanted more than anything for Christmas. He's going to shoot his eye out, though. It's not real compassion. And number one, Gary Sinise shoots John Malkovich in the back of the head to spare them both from the horror of an angry lynch mob in Of Mice and Men. No, that's from a book. Doesn't count. Mm, oops. I thought it was from a play. But okay. That's why it's compassionate? Yeah. Ugh. All right. <laughs> All right. Now we have uh, the fourth Beatle, Paul Weimer. Hi, guys. My three favorite moments of compassion in number three, in Babette's Feast. The titular <laughs> refugee character, Stephanie Audra, uses all of her money and cooking skill to cook the meal of a lifetime for the tiny town and church that has taken her in. Did Dingus just call the movie Bibette's Feast? Yeah, yes. he did a tit joke. And <laughs> in, in to set up a church dinner. And I don't think Paul Weimer appreciates any of that interpretation being put into his email, Dingus. It's Tidian. That's the name of the artist. Tidian. The arse? Number two, in searching for Bobby Fischer. Uh, in searching for Bobby Fischer, Josh Waitskin, Matt's Pomerank. And I get I get criticized for naming character names. And, and here Paul Weaver jumps in. I would like to praise you, Paul, for uh, mentioning the character names. Offers his opponent in the final match a tie so that neither has to lose, knowing that he has figured out the sequence of moves in hand to assure he can win. You say dinosaur name's good. Thanks. <laughs> Number one, Dr. McCoy, DeForest Kelly. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Wait, what is it? Do you think? Uh, that's, that's, 
way to do anything compassionate. It's not his <sighs> job anyway. Anesthetic. He gives anesthetic to a Vulcan. Like, in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, in a hospital on 1980s Earth looking for Chekhov, confronted <laughs> with an elderly patient on dialysis, he decides to intervene and give her better treatment than she is getting. It's played humor, but also shows McCoy is first and foremost a doctor. That's not compassion because it's two seconds out of his day. It's got to be a big. You got to have to put yourself really out to be compassionate. If it's something. It's just like you're flicking a a bean. Kelly, one, you've just disqualified Dingus's pterodon thing from Tree of Life. Pterodon, Jesus. <laughs> uh, well, maybe. Weimer's runner-up is Roy Batty saves Deckard from falling to his death in Blade Is that compassion, though? Why does he do I guess it is. That's something that, you know what, I'm not sure I ever got that. Why doesn't... Is the that only reason he's on? falling, though, is because ba- Batty broke his fingers, so he's only got one hand to hold it. So in a way, well, it's, just, it's kind of a wash. Yeah, does, oh. So is, is it that a replicant can feel and say, but explain this to it. Dingus, you're... Well, he does some poetry, so, yeah. I think Dingus is up to, to uh, some exegesis of Blade Runner. Explain to me what goes on. Why does Roy Batty save Deckard at the end What's of Blade What's a Blade in the Blade Runner? Well, if you accept the idea that uh, Roy Batty thinks Deckard is a human, then the human has a chance to live more, and that's what Roy Batty wants for himself. So, he, what he's doing for Deckard is... Uh, is Allowing him to live more, you know. I want more life, fucker, and and you have a chance for this, and I don't. I mean, that's what that moment is, isn't it? It's it's him saying, "I value life, and you haven't given me this. You as humans have not given me this opportunity. I'm giving I you have, what I'm not allowed to have, so exactly. that you can, so you can. And now you felt how I feel. Uh, okay, good. I like that, Kelly. Wan, why couldn't you have done that? Uh, doesn't he know he's a replicant, and that's why he does it? <laughs> Replicants can't tell each other. It's kind of like the foot stepping on. It's things that shouldn't be doing that, arbitrarily doing something with the foot stepping on. Are you talking about Han Solo stepping on Jabba the Hutt's tail? No, that was compassionate for the bugs that were under the tail. <laughs> but, uh, Dingus, I did like that reading. Very good. Thank you for rising to the. Oh yeah, sorry, Dingus. Forgot you here. <laughs> yeah, most people do. <laughs> I, I agree with what you just said because I'm the guy who agrees with what you said. Uh, All right, so number the next one is Robert Armitage. Uh, uh, So Winter's Bone, Ree's perseverance eventually warms the hearts of her female relatives, but even compassion is cold in Winter's Bone. I was going to call out, that was one of our runners-up, is specifically Marib offering to help, finally giving in and offering to help Ree. Yeah, that's a good one. That is very nice. That's a great one, actually. Nice, Richard. Darn. Good job, Robert. Robert, sorry. I called him Richard. My uh, Mr. Armitage. <laughs> uh, the woman. Lucky McGee's titular woman. Uh, Who's compassionate? Yeah, where's the compassion? The woman doesn't kill the girl. Shows that, the, I don't, that's not out of compassion. That's out of, that's out of solidarity. Yeah, what's the moment yeah. of compassion in that? Shows compassion of the daughters of the family she just slaughtered by leading them into the new life as cannibalistic kill people. So, yeah, I got the sense that that was this sort of girl power, <laughs> this, this primal solidarity. Or their lunch. <laughs> she oh. them to eat them later. <laughs> <laughs> I, Sending well, it up for takeout, it's going to be kind of brutal. 
Well, the point is, too, that, uh, I, I mean, we're discussing the end of the woman. I guess that's okay. If you haven't seen it, you should have. Too bad. Uh, but, just, you know, she doesn't show that compassion for Angela Bettis because Angela Bettis has basically She's a sellout. Sailed. She's a exactly. She's a sold out. She's sold out. She has not stood up to, to She's men. aunt, Tom. It, exactly. Right. Um, aunt. Aunt. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. But I'm fascinated that that uh, Robert picked that. Uh, I missed that movie. Not that I ever want to watch it again, but I liked it. And his number one selection is Boone. Gertie, the anti-Hal, helps Sam with his predicament and is always quick with a cheery smile. Gertie the anti-Hal is how he should be listed in the credits. That's a good point. Oh, what's the IMDb for Moon? I bet it's really good. <laughs> get up. Uh, I'll look that up, Dingus. So who, who's next? No, you'll lose it. Okay. Okay. So no, no. So so uh, just for listeners, we love how awful the IMDb uh, plot synopses are for various movies. So here it is for Moon. Astronaut Sam Bell has a quintessentially personal encounter toward the end of his three-year stint on the moon. Moon, Jesus. by the way. Moon is capitalized here. Uh, are you supposed to capitalize moon? Well, it is in the title, so they got probably confused. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Astronaut has a quintessentially personal encounter where he, working alongside his computer, Gertie, sends back to Earth parcels of a resource that has helped diminish our planet's power problems. Oh my fucking god, who wrote that shit? <laughs> That's what? That would never make anyone want to see it. And it's, it's, it's terrible. All the worst <laughs> bits of exposition right here. Uh, Dingus wins. Tell me he has a quintessentially personal encounter. According Who to talks us. like that? What I, IMDB. <sighs> Stupid fucking bullshit. See, all right, it's a great movie a lot easier than that. Yeah. Or a movie easier than that. Great picks from Robert. Go ahead, Dingus. Uh, next is Mark Doyle. My personal favorite moment of compassion happened in one of my all-time favorite movies, Sling Blade. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Carl, Billy Bob Thornton, has recently been released from a long stint in a mental hospital after killing his mother and another man. Oops. Shortly after returning to his hometown, he befriends a young kid, Tom. Lucas Black. No shark teeth pop. Best time to get us. Whose own family life is in turmoil, mostly because of his mother's abusive boyfriend, Doyle Hargraves, played by Dwight Yoakam. Excellently, I might add parenthetically. Uh, the moment of compassion comes in late in the movie when it's clear that Doyle will either kill or severely beat the kid and his mother. Carl, Carl decides he will sacrifice himself and his new relationship with the kid, the first meaningful relationship of his life, by murdering Doyle with a lawnmower blade, essentially sentencing himself to a lifetime back in the mental hospital. He leaves his ten or so books, his only possessions, to the kid just before he does the deed. Within them is a bookmark that reads, You'll be happy. Powerful stuff when the kid figures out what is about to happen. Do you guys remember Dwight Yoakam's last line in that movie? Who's Dwight Yoakam? That's Did my guess, by the way. I know who he is. <laughs> uh, he's the guy that uh, that Billy Bob Thornton murders. One more blade. Uh, please don't. You obviously don't. Uh, the last line is Carl. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Murder's an act of compassion in movies, but in real life, no one ever. It's always like a, a bad motive. Mm. The more you know. <laughs> Stranger than fiction. 
And finally, Rhiannon McLean. Hi, Tom, Christian, and Kelly Wand. I'm going to try to keep this shorter this week, because last time my message was half an hour long. Three more moments of compassion. Three, Ripley torches her tortured fellow Ripley clones in Alien Resurrection. Two, in the cell, which is not a terrible movie, I don't care what anyone says, Jennifer Lopez goes into the villain Vincent D'Onofrio's crazy sexy brain land. <laughs> that should have been the name of the movie, Vincent D'Onofrio's <laughs> crazy sexy brain land. Yeah. That's, my, that's my favorite amusement park. <laughs> the lines are always so long in there, though. <laughs> you have to really, you have to, you have to plan out three days if you want to see all of Vincent D'Onofrio's crazy sexy brain land. You got to go sober, though, to get the full effect. <laughs> if you get a fast pass, it's kind of better, though. <laughs> <laughs> and to villain Vincent D'Onofrio's crazy sexy brainland to get the info she needs to save the girl. She sees the killer as a child there and starts to feel for him. So at the end, when she slays him, she holds him gently and helps him to finally find some peace. Oh, Tarsem. And number one, in Moon, the computer Gertie has no capacity for emotional expression beyond basic emoticons and appears indifferent at best. When the true nature of the main character, Sam's situation is revealed, the computer flashes up a crying smiley to show that he shares in Sam's distress. When Gertie helps Sam to escape, we realize that the computer was genuinely moved and silly emoticon was actually a sincere expression of sympathy. Night night, Rhiannon XXX. Moon, a very popular pick. And by the way, yeah. re- hearing Rhiannon talk reminded me of just how much Duncan Jones got out of the fact that Kevin Spacey was the voice. Because you think, of, I mean, the, the baggage that comes with hearing Kevin Spacey speak. Uh, I mean, you immediately think of Seven, like this yeah. cold, emotionless killer, or you think of his character in Swimming with Sharks or whatever. Uh, and just the fact that it turns out to just be this caring, oddly loving uh, entity towards Sam. Uh, it just so plays with your expectations. Um, have right. we mentioned that Moon is a brilliant movie, by the way? No, I don't think anybody liked it but me, because it was my number one movie for that year. <laughs> my favorite Gertie line is when she goes, Will you go to lunch? <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, that was nicely played. I'm not a good actor. <laughs> Or uh, one of my runners. Is that, that so? That was it for. Uh, That's for, it. That, we are done, and really? I appreciate everybody, including their picks. I also appreciate the people who only sent one in. If you only have one pick, you do not have to have three. Send as many as you have, and we're happy to include them. Please do send them. Absolutely. Uh, so our runners up, by the way. Uh, I, I want to mention the the boys staying for the funeral in uh, Darjeeling Limited. I just love that weird turn that Darjeeling Limited takes uh, halfway through the movie. That's a runner-up for me. That's a good choice. Uh, there's a lot of compassion shown towards deer. Uh, I think of Robert De Niro not shooting the deer in Deer Hunter. Uh, Hannah, with her I Almost Missed Your Heart, uh, at the very first part of the movie. And uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, taking a deer out in Last of the Mohicans. Or that might have been an elk. That's compassion? Mm, I think so. I don't know. I've, I've never hunted. Yeah. You know, when you do it like when the Native Americans did it or when you do it after coming back from Vietnam. Yeah, absolutely, Kelly Wand. Oh, well, now I know what you're talking about now that you reference things I would know. Other <laughs> <laughs> uh, runners up? Uh, one of mine is at the end of Raising Arizona. 
uh, when uh, when High and Ed return the baby and um, Nathan Arizona finds them doing so, uh, he lets them go and he says, "We had terrible problems trying to have kids, and you guys just have to work it out." I understand that you're going through a tough time, but let nature catch up with you or science catch up with you. You can do this. And he could have uh, had them arrested. Instead, he had compassion upon them because they were suffering as he suffered. Kelly Wan, for you, are the runners-up? I guess the good, the bad, the ugly, when Clint Eastwood gives a cigarette to a dying soldier, but I'm assuming he had more, so I guess it's one of those ones where... (laughs) There, there's also um, not killing Gollum is a moment of compassion because he's yeah. up helping. That worked out well. Good thing we didn't kill him. Well, it yeah. did work out well. Kelly, Kelly Wong, the point is it did work out well. In a 28 weeks way, I guess. No, it's uh, Kelly Wong, go back and watch the movies. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been... Try hard. Explain, yeah, try harder, Kelly Wong. Uh, so I, I thought of... Uh, one of my favorite moments of <laughs> compassion from uh, from fiction, there's a, a Raymond Carver short story called A, a Small Good Thing um, that Robert Altman had the temerity to shuffle into his huge, long Hollywood narrative in shortcuts. Um, and in A Small Good Thing, uh, in the Carver short story, a couple's child dies. So, Dingus, you're not allowed to read it because uh, you're all you, – you said you won't read or see things where children die. But a no, couple's just child- where they're lost. Oh, okay. So, yeah, as long as they don't get lost. Well, this couple's <laughs> child dies, and uh, they had ordered a, a birthday cake for for the child. And the baker, you know, who has no idea what's going on, he just knows the birthday cake has. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. He, he's increasingly leaving angry messages on the family's machine, and eventually, the family they they go to say, "Will you leave us alone? Our our son just died." Um, and in the and and the baker immediately has this outpouring of compassion and does, according to the title of the story, a small good thing for them, and he feeds them. Um, so Altman puts this in his shuffled narrative, which is a bunch of Carver stories put together in shortcuts, and I think, I meant to watch it before, but it didn't have time, I think it's Bruce Davison and Andy McDowell as the parents, but I distinctly remember it's Lyle Lovett as the baker. Um, and I don't remember the scene, I mean, it's so heart-wrenching in the book. Carver just has such a way with... Uh, sort of the, this this raw simple emotion. Uh, I don't remember the movie really living up to that. So I wanted to go back and look that up and watch that scene and see if maybe that was eligible. Didn't have time to, but what it did make me do is watch the end of Magnolia again. Uh, and that that whole I mean Magnolia is just shot through with with compassion and uh, there's just so much feeling in that movie. But I specifically love. This compassion that we don't see, and it's when John C. Riley comes to sit down with Melora Walter at the end of the movie, and we don't see his face. We see her face reacting to him talking to oh, her, and we yeah. don't even know what he's saying. You know, we are seeing like we are seeing his compassion sort of mirrored on her face, just as her face reacts to him sitting down talking to her. And that Amy Mann song is playing, and you can hear him softly talking, and you see him sit down in the foreground, but you never see his face, and you just know that he's you, you know over the he has so much feeling for her. And it's just her reaction to his compassion is just so incredibly powerful at the end of Magnolia. Uh, so that that's a runner-up for me as well. Magwadia? 
left. <laughs> uh, you should check out this director called Paul Thomas Anderson, Kelly Wand. You might be into. Uh, uh, yeah. He made uh, Event Horizon, <laughs> and he did the uh, he did the Resident Evil movies as well. Yes. Is yeah. shortcuts is shortcuts any good? I don't think so. I mean, now it's got Julianne Moore's. Oh, that's right. She runs around bottomless for a while. I, I think the problem with shortcuts is that if you're a Raymond Carver fan, it, it's sort of like, oh, this is how you want to adapt Raymond Carver stories with this kind of Hollywoodized celebrity cavalcade. I, I don't know. It, you know what? Altman is is good, but I don't know that he really is the guy to do Carver. Um, well, that was his free ride movie after the player was a surprise hit. Ah, it's like the bookend. Right. For that. And then everyone, all right, yeah, Proto Porto. Well, it's kind of like doesn't it? Doesn't everything get tied together with an earthquake at the end? Is yeah, it, yeah, which is a, a magnolia kind of device. Downey's always smoking weed or trying to find weed. Well, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, trip. I kind of remember liking that movie. I'm surprised. You, uh, like, I remember thinking it was kind of good. And Jennifer Jason Lee's good in it? Well, it's not that I'm saying it's not good. I'm just saying it's not the... It, it just doesn't do justice to Carver, I guess. So the, there I am. I'm just up Source about, material. Exactly. I'm uptight about the source material. There See, it's go. different when you've read it, I've noticed. You know what? Uh, it's a so good... You haven't read it. Shortcuts Shortcuts is a good Robert Altman movie, but I don't think it's a good Raymond Carver adaptation. How about that, Kelly Wand? Dread's a good Dread adaptation. <laughs> yes, Kelly Wand, go on. <laughs> Demolition Man is a better prophecy. My Demolition Man is my favorite Philip K. Dick adaptation. Oh fuck yeah! Uh, uh. <laughs> uh, all right, what do we have for next week's three by three, Kelly Wand? Oh, I'm so excited because my last one was lip syncing, and that was very popular with uh, you guys and the listeners and um, extraterrestrial visitors who spy on our radio waves. They all agree it was equally good. So this one's uh, got nothing to do with that. That's why I was going in in such detail. Um, three best uh, dates. And by best, I mean memorable, not mileage-wise, unless that's what you're into. It's like January 1st. <laughs> can, can these dates live in infamy, Kelly Wand? They have to. Or it's uh, not thing is, thing is, I, think I, I think I like this topic. Ah, uh, my first. I mean, normally, what, like going out on dates. Yeah, I've only been on two dates, so my list might be short. Thing is, normally when Kelly Wand is going to like announce his three by three, I'm totally ready to go. Oh God! And he did this one, and I I was just out of reflex, about ready to go. Oh, but as as I was like drawing in breath to do that, I was like, oh wait, I have. Ooh, ah, there could be some good one. Things That's I how a good date feels too. You go, oh God, fucking shut up, <laughs> Kelly Wand. And you're so drunk, you'll put up with anything. Kelly One, do you need to take anything off the table? I don't think you do. And by the way, I, I feel like I the movie I was just talking about, I should be taken off. Well, you know what? Never mind. Dates begin with a table. <laughs> well done, Tom. <laughs> that you, have to, you have to get past the hard surface of the table part of the date to get to the soft bed surface of the... Uh... Don't don't let him talk anymore. Yeah, Kelly Wan, just stop while you're ahead. <laughs> You've picked a great three by three. Don't ruin it. Uh, all right, if you have an idea for dates in movies, send your picks to three by three at quarter to three dot com. That's three x three at and then spell out quarter to three dot com. We would love to read them on the air. Furthermore, we suggest that this week you go see After Earth. <laughs> oh, God. Because Is we're that going how to you say it. I don't know. I might have 
mispronounced it. I might have hit the wrong syllable. I, I don't know. You know, it's Wilson up in the air. calls it After Earth. Oh, uh, Kelly Wong. Ah, yes, that's the you know what? I to hear. At least we won't have that in the uh, synopsis <laughs> next week. Uh, so, see After Earth and uh, send us your pick for uh, best dates, and then join us for the podcast next week. We would love to have you. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Christian McCrowley. It's Christian Morosky. I don't think so. And... Kelly Wand. It's also compassionate when Vin Diesel lets Walker park in the driveway first. We're so furiously dangerous. Furiously dangerous. Yes, Kelly Wand. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the next to last Canada. Um, coming back to the uh, ah, the penultimate. Yeah, the penultimate uh, Canada. Yes, by Robert Ludlum. So I had to lose a crown. I had to, but I bit into some banana bread and a crown fell out of my mouth, not the bread. Was so, it Victoria? So you gotta watch that banana. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it had a couple bones in it. So, my dentist is this Vietnamese guy named Doctor Doe. So, that's <laughs> how he says it. That's how he says Doctor Doe. So then he. So I go, hey, I'm between insurances, but I'm coming back. America's national treasure, and then I'll have insurance again. And he's all, oh, my daughter will give me grief. I don't fix her tooth. So this party just is like $1,000 worth of drillage on my tooth for free. And so then I told him I was going to get him something out of gratitude. And he told me, no, fixing teeth is what I do. And I go, that's because you're Dr. Doe, not Dr. Don't. Top rhyming to being top rhyme, a check full of commas, no regrets except for the drama. I remember a time where my only perfection was my mama, my mind, my long erection. Now it's time to bow down and erect the mind up, mitten my honor, cause bitch, I'm bonker, plural, in the whip with my avanka, pompous girl. She on E, feeling on me, singing on key while I'm bumping, we are the world. Got Smith and Britney, no, we didn't diddy. We run this town. No, we didn't diddy. I feel like tipping the glass, she take a sip with me, she's from the city of Jackson, I call her Mississippi. That was pretty witty. Your man like a black man trying to get reelected. Well, Dingus, we're done talking again. It's not dummy proof. <laughs>